morning, everyone. This morning, we continue our scripture reading in 1 Peter 1, chapter 14 through 21. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was, who, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. All right. Hello. Are we good? Oh, lights. Um, all right. So we're really going to uh, cover mostly the first half of that passage today. Um, the rest of the stuff I'm probably going to touch on, it, but it's going to be after Christmas. And let's be honest, nobody ever comes to church the Sunday after Christmas. That's what I've noticed. Um, everybody doing good? Yeah? We're light? People traveling? People went home? All the young people went home, so it's just us mature people. Um, and so we can get real now. And uh, um, so, yeah, uh, there was something else I was going to say, but I don't remember what it was, so it must not matter, and I'm just going to move into this. Um, So let's pray, and let's dive into this passage. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything you are doing in our midst. Um, I ask right now that that, uh, you would calm us, that the holidays can be very, very stressful for a lot of us. Um, They can be very painful for others. Um, Every year there's a certain amount of people for whom this Christmas is different than the other Christmases. Um, And sometimes it's wonderful, sometimes it's painful. And I ask that right now you would be here with us, comfort us, um, give us what we need to encourage us and help us for this moment to kind of put those things aside and focus on you and listen to you and what you have for us. Um, I ask that I would be able to speak clearly and think clearly and communicate clearly, that um, I would remember the things that I've, that I've studied and that you would have something for each and every one of us, myself included, this morning. Thank you. You are a wonderful, wonderful, perfect God. Thank you for preserving this book for hundreds and hundreds of years so that we could sit here and, and study it and, and learn how to be more holy, more like you, have a more purposeful life. Um, thank you. Your name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start off talking about, because a big part of this passage is the phrase, like, so hold on, let me just pull it back and show you. Verse 16, you shall be holy for I am holy. Um, And right before that it says, he who called you is holy, you should also be holy. And so there's this um, big focus in this passage on being holy. Now, um, I've asked several people this week, and my family included, um, hey, do me a favor, define what it means to be holy and don't use any Christianese words or churchy words. You can't say like, it means like set apart. It means like uh, sanctified. None of that. What does it mean to be holy? And 
the definitions are wide, but a lot of them have to do with perfection. A lot of them have to do with um, morality, like being very moral. Um, and um, a few people sort of touched on it here and there. Um, but we're going to talk this morning about what being holy is. Um, I think there is a lot of times this separation. We hear a word so much that it loses its meaning. There's a lot of words like that that, that we use that we never, we, we say them so often that they literally just have no meaning. We just kind of throw them in Christian conversation. And everyone that's not a Christian hears these words and they're like, oh, that's one of those religious spiritual words. Um, and they think we know what it means and most of the time we don't. Um, and so this morning I'm going to talk about the word holy. Uh, the holy. The word holy is uh, the Greek word hagios. It's used in this passage. Everyone say hagios. Well done. Um, good, see, we're learning. Um, and this word actually, it, it means different. That's not a definition that I heard at all. No one said, oh, it means different. Holy means, and some people touched on it because they were using the Christianity words, they, they were using words like set apart. Uh, it means, uh, you know, just set aside. Uh, really, yes, that, that is what it means. And it, is, it honestly is sort of all of those things that people mentioned and more. But the main definition it is used in scriptures is different. And... This is sort of a contrast between the word unholy or the word sort of, uh, a lot of times you hear it in, in the scriptures as fleshly or of the flesh, natural, of the flesh, animalistic. Um, this is how the word was used in ancient times, a lot of, a lot of times. Uh, and so there is this sort of paradox that there is a way of living that is animalistic, that is just of the flesh, you read this a lot in scriptures. Uh, uh, you have these fleshly urges and you fill them. And that is unholy. And so holy is something different. If everything in the world um, sort of thinks the same and moves the same, animals and, and people and everything sort of all follow our urges and we are all the same, holy is different. Not of this world, not thinking the same way, not driven by the same things that everything else is, holy is different, okay? So keep that in your mind. We're going to walk away from this, and we're going to come back, um, and we're going to put this in some context, and we're going to talk about what it means to live holy. Um, so let's go to first century Rome. First century Rome, um, they were the first people to really declare the idea that we are just animals, that we are just like the rest of creation. We are not different. We are not holy. We are the same. Um, this also went for their gods. Their gods were not holy. They were the same. If you read the ancient stories about um, uh, Greek mythological gods, all the gods that, that Romans worshipped, um, they fought, the gods fought between each other. They, um, there was a lot of um, like affairs, a lot of, lot of like sexual escapades, a lot of... Uh, they, they, they had the same emotions we did, and they killed each other, and they warred, and, and they were just like us with superpowers. Um, and so... They were not holy. They were the same. They were just like us. We are just like the animals, and the animals are just like... The, we're all sort of the same. The only difference was the amount of power that we had, the amount of consciousness that they had. And so nothing in the ancient Roman world was really holy. Everything was just sort of the same. Um, and as you read the ancient records of Rome, you can't help but sort of be appalled by the sheer sensuality with which the Roman people lived. The, the context in which this book was written... Um, the world in which it was written, these people lived in a way that was uh, 
in full lining up with exactly what they believed about the world, that we are no different than animals. Um, poverty in those days, there was no middle class. There was the rich and there was the poor. And there was no middle class, and the poor were really, really poor, and they died young. And um, there was this real sadness when you read about it, the way that the poor people had to survive and the way that they had to live. Um, and they were used like pawns by the political government at that time. Um, the rich, however, lived in these opulent palaces and incredible spaces. And um, I had some things I gathered this week um, about some of the parties that were thrown back then. Um, there's these really fabulously expensive banquets where um, you read about peacock brains, be, brains being served for meals, um, nightingales' tongues. Someone actually caught a bird, cut out the tongue, like this bird away, served the tongue. Um, uh, emperor, there's this emperor named uh, Vitellius, and he had this table where he was having a banquet, and at this table you read, you see, read about 2,000 fishes and 7,000 birds at his table. Large table. Um, also, chastity was not a thing that people really cared about. If we are all just like animals, um, they would actually take the, the sort of Jewish practice of, you couldn't call it holy matrimony, you'd call it marriage, and they would just, it, they, would, they would turn it into this sort of thing that they would do every weekend. Um, the Roman poet Marshall speaks of a woman who had reached her 10th husband, and she was very young. Juvenal is a guy named, he's a satirist and a, and a lawyer, ancient Roman, who wrote about a woman who had eight husbands in five years, um, the biblical scholar Jerome tells us that, that in Rome there was once one woman who, who was married to her 23rd husband and she herself being his 21st wife. Impressive stats. It's like a major league stats there. Um, and uh, so it was a world in which nothing really mattered and nothing was really permanent. It didn't, there was no meaning in anything. It was all just how much fun can we have um, before we die. And it was a world completely ruled by desire whose aim was to find newer and sort of wilder ways of, of gratifying all of these lusts. Now, this is the definition of being unholy. Living by all of your lusts, living in a way that is just for your pleasure, um, living just like the animals. Um, and in those days, I mean, if that is true, if we are just like the animals, then that's, it's not, it's just natural. They're just doing what every other animal does. They get a chance to steal some food, they steal some food. They get a chance to kill a threat, they kill the threat. Um, and so the author of scriptures, all of the authors basically stand up and say something different. They say God is holy. God is different. He is not like us. He is not empowered by the same things we are powered by. He is uh, something different altogether. He is different in almost every way from natural ways. Uh, his attention and efforts are focused outwards. He is morally concerned with others. He is not led by his lusts. He is not um, in any way reacting the same way that we do. He is driven by something completely different. Most of us are powered by um, our desire for survival. Most of us are powered by our just instincts and, and we just go with whatever feels right. Um, and and that is how the world was in those days. And so we get to First Peter uh, chapter 1, and we read this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Uh, so he's basically, if you remember last week, he talked about how there were things that we didn't know. The prophets didn't really know. They were giving these messages, and they didn't fully know what they meant. He says the angels didn't even know. You know things that the angels didn't even know. There's things that Peter himself, the, the disciples, didn't even know. Now, however, we know. We didn't know, but... Now we know, and so we don't 
live the same way that, that we were always taught to live. We can't. We know too much now. We cannot live as animals, driven by whatever our urges tell us to do. We must be driven by something different. And, and that thing that we have found out is God came in the flesh and modeled to us a completely different way to live. And we have this, we have Jesus, not powered by the flesh, powered by something totally different, reaches down inside, lives by the spirit of God, doesn't act selfishly, doesn't live for his own preservation. He's obedient to the spirit within him, even to the point of death on the cross. Always obedient. Any of us would never do that. We are obedient to the point of things not being pleasurable anymore. And then we sort of move on. Now, uh, so this is basically, you know, to live that way was to say that we are no different from creation. Our actions have no more meaning than that of a squirrel. This is what the world had been teaching for a long time. And I want you to realize there are voices today telling us this. There are plenty of voices. You hear them everywhere. I have conversations regularly with people uh, who sort of believe this way, that there's no purpose to everything that we see. There's no deep meaning. Um, And the general consensus is that one day all of this, even if we do happen to escape from this dying planet, that we will one day end up uh, just like every, all, of, all the rest of creation being sucked into one finite place and all of this will end and there will be no being to remember anything that we did here. And that's really sad. And the fact is they don't... I, I have a hard time thinking people really believe this when they don't live like it. So we'll talk about the universe like this and then we'll say, so live every day to the fullest. Why? What? No, go jump off a cliff. Like, this is all going to end badly. Like, and so people don't really believe. They are choosing to be ignorant of, of what they actually know to be true. And so there is this, there, is these, there are voices today telling you the same thing the Romans were telling you. And so if you actually take some of the ancient Roman quotes, here's one here by um, a man named Catalyst, uh, written to, his, uh, to his, his lover, and he writes to her in the same sort of idea that people are telling us today sons can rise and set uh, sons can rise and set again but once our brief light is dead there is nothing left but one long night from which we never shall awake if people were to die like dogs why should they not live like dogs general consensus ancient rome um we agree with all of that today uh general consensus today agrees with all of that until we get to the end and then somehow say but don't live like dogs it's uncomfortable for all of us And it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, And society generally ends up the same when they adopt the same thinkings that other ancient societies have adopted. Um, And so there is another voice. You have Peter, you have Paul, you have Jesus, you have all these people um, writing from a different place. And Peter replies and says something like this, but as he who called you is different, is holy, he's not like us. Uh, you shall also be holy in all your conduct. Since it was written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So he sort of goes on and on. Uh, and he's actually quoting an old, ancient Old Testament um, from, from the book of Leviticus, chapter 11. And I wish I had time to get into that today because it's kind of fascinating. But it's less fascinating than the other things. So I'm going to go here. Um, so Peter presents us in this world in which the people were living however they wanted. Peter steps up and presents a very interesting option, a very intriguing sort of idea, a suggestion, if you will. He stands up and he says, I would recommend that you be holy, that you be different from everyone else. 
in your actions, that you not live like them, not make decisions from the same place that they are making decisions from, not live by the same power that they're living from. And if God is different and you've seen that, then maybe, maybe you should try to be like him. Maybe you should tap into that same power that he has, that he has set is inside of you. Tap into that and live by that. Let that be the source of which you draw all of your strength. Uh, and you might think, well, be holy. That's really impossible because our old definition is perfect. Be perfect. Um, and we know that that's physically impossible for any of us to be perfect. Um, and so obviously, you know, he's obvious, God's obviously above creation and empowered by something else entirely. How can we ever be holy? Well, actually, there are plenty of times, there are plenty of times in scriptures where God takes unholy things and makes them holy. And it's not always people. There's plenty of times. Um, you might remember Moses. He has this conversation with God. There's a burning bush and he walks up to God and God says, hey, do me a favor, take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. The ground that you are on right now is different than other ground that you've walked on. The ground you even walked over here on, it's not the same as the ground you're on right now. Take those shoes off for me. All right? Um, and so, and, and, and how is that holy ground? How is that dirt and that bush any different from anything else? Well, several things you can kind of see from that and glean from this. There's, God is present. He's acting upon it. He's bringing life where normally death would be. The bush is not being consumed. It's alive. Even though it burns, he's bringing light. He's under control of it. He's actually using that ground to communicate his message. Um, And then when you compare that with other things, uh, you have the things that were in the temple. We've talked about this at length, even before our baptism service. The things that were in the temple were considered holy. The things that were in the temple were not holy at one point, and then they were made holy, and they served the same purpose. They were in the presence of God, in the Holy of Holies. They communicated the message of God to the people about redemption and sacrifice of God and salvation. And it, These things were made holy for a specific purpose. Um, there's the people of Israel. God tells them, you are set apart. You are different. You will be holy, my holy people. You will be different from everyone else in the world. You will not make decisions the same way they make decisions. You will not act or live the same way that they do. You will not be... be uh, driven by the same things that drive everyone else. You will be different. You will be holy. And God, God made them holy for the sole purpose of proclaiming his message to the world of salvation. And so what we can gain from this by, by looking at, and there's hundreds of other places where God says, this is holy, this is, uh, this is holy, this is holy. And some of these things are holy for a period of time and then they are no longer holy. God no longer uses them. Um, there, are, there are times when we are living holy lives and there are times when we are not. And what we can glean from this is there are times when you are aware of the presence of God in your life and you are letting yourself be used by him to communicate his message to the world. You are not making decisions from the same place that that everyone else is. You are different. You are living in a way that is a light and bringing life, resurrection, just bringing all of the things that God brings, the things that you were meant to do and meant to be. And you are bringing these things in to your, I guess, to the kingdom of God that is available at you, everything that is within your grasp. And so there are times when each of us is being holy and there are times when we are not. There are times when we revert to the ancient Roman ways, the animalistic ways. There are times when we just give in to our urges and live however we want. And we all know those times and we've 
taken part in them this week, probably. And we could name them. And so, holy... And here's, and here's an interesting thing, because holy doesn't necessarily mean righteous. Righteous is something that you are declared to be by God if you are a follower of his. Your sins have been taken care of. You have been declared not guilty. The righteousness of God is put upon you. Holy living is something else. Righteous, I mean, we all know we're not righteous. You have been declared righteous and covered with righteousness. You know you're not righteous. It's the grace of God that bestows that upon you. Holy living is, is when you actually are conscious of, of God in this very moment and you are reacting in the way and pulling from that place. Um, and so there are times when we're holy and times when we're not. If you remember last week, we looked at this passage, uh, verse 13, and he says, being sober-minded, and we talked about how, what, what this means. It means being steady-minded. It means being focused and not being intoxicated by outside influences coming in and speaking to us, um, but knowing who we are, knowing how to act, and, and being aware in every moment of, of what God is doing. Um, and so... It is a command to be steady-minded, always drawing your thoughts and actions from the source inside of you, the Spirit of God within you. And so let's talk about how this plays out in real life. If we are to be steady-minded and we are to be holy, these two things, you kind of put them together, um, and we're not supposed to be, not, we, we shouldn't be ignorant of the things that we now know. If we were being ignorant, we'd live like the ancient Romans or like many people today are telling us to live. And so now we are to be different and live different. So how does this work out in real life? IRL for the nerds. Um, how does this work out in real life? Uh, the vast majority of people, you would say, um, I guess you could kind of say the, 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 the vast majority of people are on the wide road. They're all just kind of the same. They are driven by the same ideas. Um, we res- they respond to insults and threats and problems and trials and pain and in, 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 in life in general the same way that animals do. When we are bitten, we bite back. We retaliate. When we, uh, you know, we fight, we separate ourselves. Uh, we, we are very tribal. Um, uh, and, and when we are attacked or insulted, we respond in the same way and oftentimes worse to do the most damage possible. Um, these are animalistic ways of being. These are fleshly ways of being. These are all about you and your survival. Um, it is not about the embitterment of people around you. It's about the embitterment of you at the expense of others. Um, when we are in trials and testings, we do everything we can to get out of them. Um, but when you compare that with people in scriptures living a holy life, they tend to be patient and learn and listen and use these things uh, for redemption and their own sanctification. It's this really interesting thing. Um, we envy, you know, we see envy in animals. Animals, they look at another animal having food and they just try to take it. We look at the people around us and we're like, well, I want that. They have that. I want that. A lot of you, um, maybe you get upset when you hear about other people, you know, what they make. And you're not upset that they make this much money. You're just upset that they make more than you. You are upset that like, well, why don't I make that much? I should make that much money. That's envy. That is a not holy way of responding. That is unholy. That is fleshly. That is of the flesh. That is just like everything else in the world and how they all respond. You are to be different. Uh, we tend to look at a lot of other people as a threat to what we want or what we have instead of looking at them and seeing the image of God, a person, a human being that God loves, a child of God created in the image of him that is put here to, to manifest his glory and do his work here but has been stifled by the flesh. This is 
we tend to look at people the way, the way everyone else does. Oftentimes, I, it's sort of, we may as well be walking on the wide road with everyone else because we are not living any different. We are not being holy. Um, most of these ways, when people bite and we bite back, these are, these are reactions. We react. We don't think. People hit, you hit back. You get angry, um, and you just hit back. There are, it's the first thing that our brain does. We don't even have to think about it. You don't have to think to react. That's actually the opposite of what you're doing. You're just reacting. You hear a plea of temporary insanity. That's just, all that means is, I just did whatever, whatever my body was telling me to do. Didn't use my brain. Um, and you know, in other words, they are acting of the flesh. Think about how you responded over Thanksgiving dinner. Remember a couple weeks ago, you had this big dinner with all your family? And that one person said that one thing. That We all have that one, maybe more than one member of the family. And they said that thing. Again, they brought it up again. And, and did you, did you hit him back? Did you look, did, did, were you able to comprehend that they were just acting fleshly? Or did you say, you shut your mouth or I'm going to rip your head off and use it as a hockey puck? <laughs> How did you react? Did you, did you feel your, your body sort of, you feel yourself get hot? You just, you grit your teeth, you talk like this, everything's fine. You just kind of talk through your teeth like that. These are, this is weird, this is, this is reaction. This is unholy, this is not the way Jesus ever reacted. Um, how about when, when that guy, when that guy maybe cut you off or the waiter was rude or the classmate insulted you or you heard gossip about yourself or you found out that all of your friends went out and didn't invite you or just all your, you, you get very mad at these things and you react in a way that just makes you feel just tribal, if you will, angry. Um, this is the epitome. I mean, who's, who's Peter writing to? He's writing to Christians who were being persecuted because of a lie put out by Nero that they had burnt down Rome and now they're being hunted down and killed. Far worse than anything happened at Thanksgiving two weeks ago. All right? Um, and he tells them, do not react like the world. Be different. They don't know. The people who are attacking you don't really know what they're doing. They aren't fully aware of reality, of what actually happened be gracious with them. Be different. So the person who is holy doesn't react. They respond. They gather information. And they prayerfully think their way through exactly what is about to happen. And how they should respond. And they respond in a way that is the best possible thing for that person, for their spiritual life, for their soul. For their reconciliation with the people around them. Oftentimes, the reason that person said that thing is because they are in pain, they are hurt, they don't know what to do with their life, and they want somebody else to feel what they feel, and they want to drag you down. Because there's not, the only thing worse than suffering is suffering by yourself. And so, we make a choice. To, to, to live a holy life is to make a choice, a conscious choice to act holy and act different. They identify, you look and you kind of name it. You, that's a fleshly action. They didn't think that through. They just did it. And when you realize, when you are not ignorant of who God is and what he has done for you, 
in discarding your sins, taking it upon himself and responding with love. When you realize what the gospel has actually done for you, you are able to name the things that are coming out of people's mouths, name the ways that are, they are acting and say, well, that's just fleshly. They didn't think this through. They don't really want to hurt me. They are hurting and they want me to feel their pain. Um, they are lonely. They're angry. Someone along the lines hurt them. And we are able to name these things. And when you can name them, you can discard them and you can connect with their soul and their heart. And you can put that aside and you can, you can look past it. And then when you connect with people's soul and not their fleshly actions, then you are able to actually change them. Be a part of the change. Um, and so you kind of tell yourself they're simply acting. They're not thinking. They're conforming to ignorance what Peter's talking about. They're not being steady-minded. They're not being fully focused on the grace of Jesus, which was the second half of verse 13, by the way. He says, be steady-minded, being fully focused on the grace that Jesus is bringing to you. Not partly, like I talked about last week, not partly, fully. Um, tell yourself, you know, maybe they don't have all the information. They, if, if they did have all the information, they wouldn't do what they're doing. Maybe they're hurt, and you can, you can talk to them, hey, take them aside, who hurt you? Let's talk about it, what's going on? What's really happening here? If you display that you actually care in a holy and, and, and Christian way, it can bring healing into the situation. Be steady-minded, fully focused on grace. Um, and, and holy, it, it, it means to, to bring the peace that passes all understanding. The peace that passes all understanding. You don't fully get what they're doing. You don't know why they're doing it. You're going to move past understanding what's going on. You're going to bring peace. Um, and so to be holy is to respond in a way that's rooted in grace and peace and spoken and acted in love. And this, this applies not just to when you're being attacked and what Peter's writing about here is being attacked, but this, this actually applies across the board. Um, it applies to temptation when people are um, tempting you with some kind of, maybe it's a sexual advance that someone is coming at you with. Um, and if you are actually being sober-minded and present and aware and you're not, you don't let yourself be on autopilot all the time, you're actually present. Um, oftentimes, I'm in the room with people, and I know, like, I can see you here, but you're just not here. You're just on autopilot. If someone were to, like, sucker punch you right now, you'd just flip out and get arrested. Um, and so part of this is the practice of the presence of God that um, ancient writer Brother Lawrence writes about. Uh, it's, it's understanding where you are and, and, and knowing that everything that you are interacting with right now um, is when Jesus tells you the kingdom of God is at hand, that's what he's saying. It's you can bring the kingdom of God here where you are in this moment. And so when you are aware and someone is, is advancing, uh, making sexual advances at you, maybe, you can look at them and you can look into their eyes and you can say, well, they're being fleshly. I can discard that. And I'm going to look right into their eyes and I'm going to say, this is not healthy for you. This is not what would be good for your soul. I care about you and I love you too much to give in to this, to give in to this destructive behavior. Maybe you're receiving some gossip and gossip typically is about power. It's about people feeling low and they want to tear somebody else down to make themselves feel better. And you can, you can, you can, you receive this gossip and you can look at the person and you can say, well, if that's true, what you're telling me is true. Grace and peace on that person for they must be going through something that's intensely difficult. And so we should pray for their healing. And you know what? Grace and peace on you for taking part in, in that kind of sinful ritual. And you weren't thinking as well. And I recognize that. And I'm going to push that aside. I, I know you mean well. I know that you are 
um, a person that is loved by God, but you struggle with temptations in your life. Let me help you through this. And it ends with you. It doesn't go any farther. Um, and so this is what it means. You know, I've always, when I was growing up, I always hear, maybe it's because I grew up Baptist, but I, I always heard like the idea of like the power of God inside of you. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. I have no idea what that means. I, I never knew what it meant. And I've come to understand it's when Jesus was walking around us, he really was different. We are so rooted in our, in our reactions as, you know, for self-preservation and stuff. Jesus was not on the same power source as we are. He just was not. He was able to always react in a way that was holy, different. People insult him, he would receive it and he would teach them something. People came to him and they would confront him on something and he would teach them about reality and about the spiritual world that is active all around us. Um, Sometimes he would rebuke people in a righteous way. Sometimes people wanted to follow him and he would see that, oh, this is for selfish vanity. You're, you're acting not in a holy way. You're acting from the flesh. And he would tell them, no, you need to go. You can't be a follower of mine. It wouldn't be good for you right now to be in the spotlight. Um, Jesus was on this whole different way. And, and, and that power that's inside of that, that Jesus was acting on, that's, we are told, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's inside of you. The spirit of God is inside of you. And so who God is, the person who acts for the betterment of others, for, the, for love and redemption, and wants to bring people to him, not teach them uh, through pain. He wants to redeem them and make them whole again. That is available to you, and you can act from that every single day. That power to reject the fleshly life and to engage people's souls is available to you. It is there. And the more you practice it, the easier it gets. The more you actually train your mind, I'm going I'm to be, I've been drifting, I'm aware, I'm present right now. What can I do? What can God, what is God doing right now that I can be a part of? The more you practice this, the more you bring yourself back into reality and the more you, you think about, I'm here to be different, to be holy. I'm here to bring healing to this room, to wherever I am every moment. The more you practice that, the easier it gets. This is what spiritual disciplines are about. They're like muscles and you practice them. Um, and... So what I'm, what, and the funny thing is what I'm talking about, you can see several times in the life of Jesus where he actually practiced this. Remember what he was saying when they were nailing him to the cross? What did he say? Forgive them for they know not what they do. They're not thinking about what they're doing. They don't have all the information. And he is so gracious with them. And it's so hard to see how you can do that unless he's pulling from somewhere else. Because I couldn't do that. And, and then you read, so there's this passage in Matthew 26 where Jesus is about to be arrested and taken and, and murdered and unjustly crucified. Um, and his friends, he brings them along, pray for me, I really need your help. Um, I'm, it's not gonna go well for me, I need your prayer. And they didn't know everything. And, and they tend to slip back into acting from the flesh again, as the disciples have done from the beginning. And Jesus wakes them up and he looks at them and says, please watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He looks at them and he says, look, I know the spirit inside of you. I know you, you want to do what is right. And I know you've been losing to your flesh. And he looks past. He, he names what they've done and discards it and speaks to their soul. And it's an incredibly gracious way of living. Um, Galatians 5 is to me, Paul writes the, the most incredible way of describing what's going on here. Um, and so the first half, he, he's writing to them. He, he talks about what it means to live 
of the flesh. And he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And then he follows it up by saying this, keep in step with the spirit, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Did you hear that? Stay, walk by the spirit. Don't be on autopilot just reacting fleshly. Think about what you're doing. Be sober-minded, be present. Um, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. These are opposed to each other. God is holy because God is totally different. And the ways that we act are opposite. Are the, the ways that we typically react are completely opposed to how God would normally act. And so if you are going to be holy, you have to be different. And the normal ways you have been reacting are not the ways of God. They are not different. They are just like everyone else. And he says, um, okay, let me back up here. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Um, And so I'm going to, hopefully I've sort of laid this out in in a way that you can maybe try to apply this at some point in your life today. If you remember, if if there's moments where you are holy, uh, sober-minded, maybe remember what Peter said, be holy. Um, And and so maybe you're here today and you're constantly under attack. Maybe right now you are in the midst of, of the battle today. Someone is attacking you. They are doing their best to bring you down. Um, we've all been there. I understand. Be holy. Don't react of the flesh. Understand that they are a soul who was created and put here to be the image of God in this world. Um, but they have been ensnared. They have been trapped. And they don't understand what they're doing. And so maybe you can be a tool of God to speak to their soul, to name the fleshly things that they're doing, push them aside and connect with their soul and bring about healing to them. Tap into the power that is inside of you and respond in a way that can ignore the flesh and reach out to their soul. Because when grace touches someone, that's what grace is. When grace touches someone's soul, it brings healing and you need healing. Maybe you're here today and you need to forgive somebody. Somebody has really hurt you and you just, you need to forgive. Um, You need Jesus. Because you need Jesus to see that it's the actions of the flesh that are bringing about our sins and our offenses. And it's, it's, it, the flesh is weak and, and there is goodness inside of these people. The image of God is there. And it took Jesus to show us this. To show us what grace really looks like. Because God is doing this for you daily. God is holy. God is looking at your life. He sees all your offenses and he looks past them and he looks at who you are and he loves you. You are his child. Um... And so there's so many ways in which we all need Jesus. We need to be different and we need to be holy. The vast majority of people are wandering this earth, not awake to the gospel, but you are. They are on the wide path and we are the ones who are on a small, narrow path. There's not a lot of people there, but what God has given us to do can awaken people to his grace. And so we need to find a way to practice this. And a lot of this, again, I always go back to it, has to do with daily practicing the spiritual disciplines so that you can just be, live every moment with meaning and purpose and see what God is doing in the world around us. So um, that's what I have for us today. I hope it's meaningful in some way to you and what you're going through. We're going into a very difficult season. And when you mix stress and, and struggling with money with crazy family members, it's going to get very difficult. All right? Let's respond rightly. Let's be holy. God is holy, so be holy. So let's pray. Father, 
As we go into a time of communion, I, I, I ask that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would empower us to respond in ways that are righteous, that are holy. Don't let us just drift and live for ourselves. Let us, let us bring about your kingdom into every situation. Help us to fully repent of the ways we have been living of the flesh. Let us make it right. We love you, God. In your name, amen. So we're going to go into a time of communion. Our communion servers are on the back and on the sides. And uh, take some time, talk to God, and take communion with us.